What's going on, people? Ryan Leary here from Work Defined. You're listening to the You Should Know podcast, a series of conversations that cover the most significant challenges leaders face in the world of work. Each month, iSIMS produces an easy-to-read report that breaks down the monthly confusion we call labor data. It's important, yes, but it's often boring and way too overcomplicated for most people to understand. When you get to speak with people that are smarter than you and they can make sense of it all well, then the confusing data actually has value. So to our friends in talent acquisition, HR, hiring, or just those that might need to hire in 2024, this is a great conversation for you to listen to so that you can understand the landscape and what you need to know as you embark on your next hire. Check out these stats. Job openings are up 35% month over month and 6% over January 2023, the highest level seen in a year. Candidates in the 18 to 24 age range dominated the applicant pool in January, accounting for 4 in 10 candidates. And health services saw the biggest spike, 23%, over last year. We'll make sense of all of this in our conversation with Ria Moss, Global Head of Workforce and Customer Insights, and Jill Miller, VP of Talent Acquisition at iSIMS. This is William Titkep and Ryan Leary. This is the You Should Know podcast. We've got Ria and Jill from iSIMS on today. We're going to be talking about data and insights and all kinds of fun stuff. So why don't we do some introductions first? Uh, Ria, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, um, I'm Raya Moss. I am the Global Head of Workforce and Customer Intelligence at iSIMS. Um, if you're not familiar with iSIMS, we are a talent acquisition software company. Um, and I've been at iSIMS for seven years in roles in product and engineering and now customer success and customer experience. But the fun team that I lead looks at the data of our cumulative customer base and really just starts to try to weed out and figure out what's happening right now and research the labor pools, the talent market. Um, and then we put out a few big reports a year that I know we're going to talk about today. So thank you for having me. And I like the subtle way that you corrected me on your name. Because I said Raya. Raya. Because Texas. Yep. Texas. Raya, yep. Yep. You said thank Raya. You. She says, hi, I'm Raya. She's right. <laughs> yeah. Very, very subtle. I'm very too. used I, to it. I, no, but I like it. Cause He's been I, calling you Rhea for the last 10 years, but it's all good. Yeah, you know, if I know someone's name, that's, I feel like that's a success story. Right there. Just, <laughs> just, just that I can remember who they are at this point. Jill, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, nice to see you. My name is Jill Miller. I'm the VP of Talent Acquisition here at ISIMS. Uh, Unlike Raya, I have only been here a handful of months, so excited to um, bring not only my love of ISIMS, but also my love of all things hiring um, to to both this podcast and the organization. So, so that's the new, new, the new car smell. I like it. That's very, very cool. new car smell over here. Okay. Yeah. okay. So we've got uh, January and February data uh, that we want to kind of talk through. So why don't we start with kind of some of the things that, things that kind of, I know February just came out. Yes, so, we're breaking out this morning. We're right. getting it live. Wow. Breaking news. <laughs> breaking news. Yeah. Um, so what we look at really three key indicators in the market to get a sense of sort of supply and demand of talent. And then from the people side, who's applying for jobs. And then also 
from the company side, you know, who's hiring, you know, are they opening jobs? Are they filling them? How long is it taking? Um, and the three key indicators we look at are applications, openings, and hires. And if you've ever seen an ISIMS Insights report, we have dubbed it lovingly the three line chart. It's a very creative name, um, but it's really those three key metrics plotting over time and seeing how they're changing relative to themselves. Um, just to give you a sense, and we were we were literally on the edge of our seats looking at this data because everyone ending the year was like, okay, okay, it's slowed, everything slowed down, but what is January going to look like? Right. Um, and I don't know if you've, anybody follows along at home, but Jobs Day was a huge surprise this month. So from our side, um, um, we saw relative to the January before, because it feels like even looking two or three years back is a, a whole different world than what it was, um, just what we're living in today. So applications are up 13%, okay. um, which is really good news because we saw the end of the year, a huge slowdown in applicant behavior. Um, if you think of kind of the labor shortage when companies couldn't find people, that's a, a big relief that we're seeing. Um, openings is up 6% year over year, which I do think is an interesting call out because if you, depending on where you get your news source, it's either a really strong labor market right now, or it's very weak labor market right now and right. companies can't find people. But what I think is really the most fascinating piece for this kind of headline chart of the report is that hires are actually down 5%. And to me, what we would usually see is when you see companies opening more jobs, they're filling them. Right. So I think there's a lot there to kind of unpack of, are they just showing face? I talk to a lot right. of our customers that say, it seems like all my competitors are still hiring like crazy, but I'm being, I'm being told to hold back. And I, that's where I'm kind of pushing companies to say, okay, just because I have openings out, are they actually filling them? Is that right. building talent pipeline? Because we're waiting. Everyone seems like they're like on the starting blocks, kind of waiting for that green light again. Um, and it, that it really came out in the data to show that that is kind of what's happening, right? But again, I also will call out: it's down five percent the number of hires happening year over year. That is not a huge amount, right? And I like to say it really depends where you get your news, right? Because LinkedIn right now feels very full of, I've been unemployed for six months and I can't find anything. Um, if you talk amongst SaaS companies or the tech sector, you hear hiring freeze, hiring freeze, hiring freeze, and nobody's hiring, but that's not really showing up in kind of the overall market data. Um, it's only a 5% decline. Jill, what do you see from your vantage point? Not, not necessarily the data, but just what you yeah. do day in and day out. Yeah, I think from my vantage point, I think, think, I think this data is exactly telling to what the market looks like. So, you know, we see, we see one, I think, we're hiring in new skills. We're thinking right. creatively. That requires us going to market early. So right. I, I'm not surprised by seeing that uptick of job openings. I would love to drill down and even see where they are. I have I have my own thoughts. I think they are really probably in new skills, creative skills um, that, you know, we're just not attuned to hiring. Prompt um, engineer, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, just different fun stuff. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, thinking about the decrease in hires, again, not surprising most companies had a hard Q4 or a different Q4. So we're just slow to rebound now in Q1. We, we know we're hiring. It's just a matter of when do we pull the trigger and say now is the time. So I'm seeing that across the board again, seeing that from our customers, seeing that from peers in the industry. None of this is too surprising. Are, are, we, are you all seeing this take effect, effect in specific sectors or industries? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm going to giggle and ask, have you seen the report yet? Because what I was talking about I the haven't. first slide, <laughs> um, the third slide, we actually looked at this, especially this hiring number. We looked at exactly this and we said, okay, that's fine, but that's not across the board. So to give you a sense, 
um, for anybody listening that doesn't get a chance to view the chart, retail hiring is down about 4% year over year. Healthcare is wow. down about 5%. Wow. Um, finance down about 7%. Manufacturing, um, the biggest of what we looked at from an industry perspective, down about 10%. And the one I will call out, the other thing we look at is tech roles, not necessarily tech companies. And I know I, I kind right. of explain that a lot. And people say, no, we're a tech company. There's not such thing as a mm. tech company. No. Um, you know, if you think of the big tech companies, right, you've got an Uber that's actually a transportation company. You've got Amazon, right. which is technically a retail company. So we look at that talent pool and we say, regardless of what industry industry you're writing Java code in, your skill is writing Java code and it can be right. industry agnostic. So right. the largest decline we saw was actually in those tech hires, which is surprising. And those were down about 13% year over year. That's fantastic. So now let's talk a little bit about some of the trends that you've seen and, uh, and across both reports, both January's yeah. report and February's report, because you got some things now that kind of kind of make sense for both yeah. of you, because March will be all of Q1. So we're, we only, we're one report away from kind of locking up Q1. So what have you seen so far? Yeah, so January's report was a big one. We actually supplemented it with some right. survey data to get a, a sense of the why. We get asked that a lot. We, you know, we see a, a number spike and it goes, why? And we say, well, it could be 10 things. So a few times a year, we supplement with some large survey sets. Um, and, and it was interesting because one of my favorite findings in the January report, we actually saw show up in the data in the February report, um, is this, this strong disconnect that we're seeing right now between confidence in kind of the job market and the economy, the difference between how job seekers feel and how companies are acting. And I, I kind of called right. that out, right? We know that apps was way up, but then hires wasn't. Um, one that I found particularly fascinating, and I'm curious, Jill, your take on this too. 87% of people in our survey said they are not concerned about being laid off in 2024. Yeah. I'm, that number took me aback in January. I, yeah. I mean, you actually talked about it a little bit. It made me surprised um, because looking at the way the market is and, and what I think when you look at layoffs in 2023, and I think as, you know, hopefully we don't project many in 2024, they are in niche, they're in specific spaces. So mm -hmm. that I think is why we saw that the majority of individuals do feel confident in their roles. And I think even as we tied into now this, this February report, you know, you're looking at people increasing their, you know, we see applications up. People are looking for better, newer opportunities. They hunkered down last yeah. year in their roles. There wasn't as much mobility, a lot of applications, but not as much mobility. And now I think we're seeing that shift as again, like now, but bigger, better roles, something new. Let me push my skill set a little further. Um, that's my yeah. thought is like connect those dots. So Julia, and I wanted to, I was going to ask that question next. Are we, are we seeing this because we empl employees just don't care? They don't care if they're laid off because there are other opportunities or they're just not happy where they're at and they're okay with being put into that situation. Or are they confident that their employer is just not going to have to go through layoffs? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I see almost the same behavior that you saw post COVID, you know, right before we entered into that great resignation, people stayed, they stayed in their yeah. roles because they were mm -hmm. safe. They were safe and safe and stable. But that appetite or that desire to look elsewhere didn't didn't go away. No. And so that's why I think no. we're seeing that kind of combination where people hunkered down last year. We had high inflation. We had a volatile market. And now we're kind of coming through that a little bit better. Um, and so that's why people are moving. I think some of it's also that 
if, if, if you were with a company and they had a series of layoffs, mm-hmm. you kind of feel like, all right, I've, I, I made it. <laughs> I'm, I'm made still it here. Right. I made it through. They've already done one, two, three cuts. Eh, I'm here. Jill, uh, so- I, have a, I have a term that I love that we use during COVID that I'm hearing being used a lot again, which is shelter and job. Yeah. Yeah. And there was this notion, and especially with certain generations, that is not a Gen Z thing. That is a millennial thing. Yeah. There's a notion of there's a lot going on in the world, at work, in the economy, ride it out. home. I say this, say this as a snow day when my kids are downstairs. If you hear them, you can all say <laughs> hello. Um, that there's just this notion of I'm just, I can't take something new. And finding a new job and onboarding to a new job is a lot of work. Yep. And I think we don't necessarily talk about that a lot. We talk about like, oh, someone found a little bit more money or, you know, maybe the grass was greener over there. But it's a lot of work to interview, to put yourself out there and then to go learn it all again and reestablish yourself in a business. And I think we saw a lot of that last year. And I think we saw a lot of companies, you know, do things like layoffs. And even the the survivors are like, well, is it am I safe? Survivors. <laughs> Am I safe? Right. And I think we're going to see a lot when we see like it's compensation season, right? It's annual review season. That yeah. Are they holding out for their bonus? Are they holding out when people get their annual raise and the inflation numbers just came out again today and they're not keeping up with inflation numbers, right? Gone is the day, the day that candidates used to always, for the most part, right? I'm going to overly, you know, generalize yeah. here. For the most part, finding a new job looked like this. Okay, I'm ready for my next challenge. I'm going to go to my company's career site. Maybe I share with my manager, I'm looking for the next opportunity. I'm going to go see what's available in my company. I'm going to apply. If I don't get that role, set the egg timer. One of our customers once did a study. They knew the exact number of days from they, when they didn't get an internal role, that they had to retain that talent. Sure. Um, and then if they didn't get that role, then hey, guess what? You probably made them um, update the resume so it's ready to go. And they would go look outside. Well, when we look at these peaks of application numbers coming up, it's not in internal job sites. They're going straight outside first, right? And maybe this is, you know, we all have a little bit of scarring and we know how the sausage is made inside our own company a little too much, (laughs) but it's, it's really fascinating that that trend is gone. I hear a lot of people that go, I'm not even going to go for the next thing here. I'm just ready for a new company. And that is going to to cause resignation rates. I mean, they're back to where they were pre-pandemic. But before the pandemic, they had been increasing nine years straight in a row. So, you know, our chief people officer, Laura, talks a lot about this of like, it's good news, but it is not like rest and sit back and all is well. They are still pretty elevated resignation rates that we're seeing right now. So you you mentioned a term earlier, uh, talent pipeline, that uh, when you talk to the employer branding folks, they love the idea of bringing in a pipeline, having just people that are there, putting Mm -hmm. content in front of them, getting people to fall in love with the brand, et cetera. But doing that through, you know, job openings, you you kind of, you're playing with live ammunition with, with, with candidates because, you know, they think that that's a real job, not just a way, a mechanism for you to, to market to them. Correct. Um, So I want to get yours and Jill's because Jill's dealing with something, a different issue on the the talent pipeline side. What do you, if people are doing that and using um, the openings as a way to just build the pipeline, how's, I mean, first, first of all, I, I just see that backfiring uh, with candidates, but, but there probably is a, a positive spin on that. Like, tell me what you think when you hear, or you think about talent pipeline. I think it depends how it's done, right? I think right. 
what I get concerned about is those companies that are doing it, getting ready for that green light, because that's great. You're going to have a lot of names and relatively recent resumes in your, you know, in your um, pool ready to use. But if they got a bad experience, like this is where I'm like, I'm talking to candidate experience, candidate experience, great news. You have more candidates. What does that actually mean? You have more candidates who aren't getting the job. It doesn't necessarily mean you have more people getting the job. It means more likely you have more people that aren't getting the job. And so often we think of candidate experience, we think of the one person who got the role. And we don't think of the, you know, during COVID, maybe it was only 20 that didn't, but now maybe it's 30 or 40. Or if you think things like tech tech roles, 60 candidates that are in there um, that didn't get the job. When you go to reach back out to them in three months, because you actually are hiring, is it for me once? Yeah, well, even beyond just the experience it's just not ethical it's just not a good practice i mean i, would... oh, <laughs> I don't know oh, what you're saying. oh, oh all I right it's, it's not so much that they're like they're fake jobs i think mm-hmm. it's things like where historically they may open a job and hire five or ten people to it they may be opening that job and hiring one if they find them yeah, yeah. it comes down to intent right correct if if yeah. you know that you're not hiring for that job right then at that particular moment right. it seems it seems it seems like someone could say it's unethical if you know that you're yeah. not hiring like if it's just an ad Jill, Jill's, Jill's, Jill's about to explode <laughs> Jill's like I do this every day stop it all day every day the unethical version or the, or the ethical version I do the ethical version. Okay. Um, I don't think we're, you know, I don't think any company is opening roles saying, oh, this is fun. Let me just do this for extra work. <laughs> I think, you know, in reality, we're trying to, the workforce is moving. It's evolving. The skill sets are evolving. What that means is even from a practitioner of talent acquisition, my market knowledge may be a little light in places. So right. we're, especially in the world of AI, as we're building out, you know, what are the teams that are going to take to make AI something that can work? That's a new skill set for most of us to know how to hunt. So that's what some of these are about is, yeah, we may not hire tomorrow, um, but in reality, we set those expectations early anyway. Candidate experience for me is critical. Um, You know, I love the way that you were talking about, it's not the one that we hire, it's the 60. We didn't, you know, those numbers, numbers, you know, sometimes are a little bit larger, but I am a believer in the basics and having a good experience for all candidates helps us go back over and over and over again. I mean, I think I can, you know, I'm going to need all five fingers or all 10 fingers and all 10 toes to count the number of times I've gone back and found those candidates. So I think ethics really isn't it. I think it's exploration, understanding the new markets. And I think it is also waiting for the business to feel comfortable with actually pulling the trigger on some of these hires. You know, we hear, you know, every single hiring manager under the sun says, I need this role now. Yesterday. 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 You know, oh, when's the next hiring class? Monday? Oh, can you get them to start for then? You know, that's that's, that's the thought class. But, you know, the business side of that says we need to slow a bit, a little bit. This one's phased for now. And so it's just balancing those two pieces. Um, How how dumb is this this idea? What if you just told uh, candidates that? I like, did. Are, no, I mean, not not you. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to make it mm-hmm. you. But what if the advice to customers or the advice to people in their job description, when they post it on Indeed or, or other places, right? They say, this is not 
This is another position that we're hiring for today. We just know this skill is critical in the future. If you want to join our database so that when we're hiring for this, you, you're the first that we reach out to. Like that's a different job description. That's first like, of all, it's not even a job description. It's like talent community 2.0 is what you're talking right. about there. It's right. like, you know, it's the beginning of evergreen Rex kind of coming back. Right. It's like we're, hey, we uh, we know this is going to be important. We just don't know when. So throw your right. card in early or throw your card in early and we'll just keep communicating. I think there's space for that. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, I think it's a little anecdotal, but my philosophy on those those types, it only makes sense if it makes sense for that market. So right. I wouldn't go and hire or I wouldn't go and open a talent community necessarily for an entry-level sales role. Mm-hmm. Right. Those individuals aren't thinking long-term. They're right. looking more just now, just in time. But there are places where that would make sense. And I can actually share a personal experience of mine. When I joined ISIMS, I actually had a very similar experience. ISIMS was really starting to dip their toe into data. Um, there was a job description posted. I don't even, to be honest, I don't remember what it was, but it was close enough to what I kind of wanted to do. And I remember um, my first interview, they said, like, look, we're figuring out what this role is and we're finding who are the talent, who are the kinds of people, what skills do they have? How do they complement the team we already have? And I interviewed a couple times. I think um, it's a f- funny story. During my final interview with Al Smith, our CTO, he um, tried to get me to apply for a different job they had <laughs> open. And I was dead convinced that Um, he didn't like me for the role I was in the final round for. And it was the opposite. He was like, we were just, we were trying to find people who had these skill sets and we're slotting them to places in our business and you fit multiple places at the time. Um, But I think, you know, it wasn't written on that job rec, but it was very clear from my experience from day one of it may be this job, the job may be different. I don't know if it's going to be this level. I don't know exactly where it's going to sit in our org, but there's this super cross-functional team that needs somebody to come in and set a direction for it. Um, I think that's been done for a very long time. It's being done a little about. Bit differently right now. Yeah, the, it sets the, the the thing that we're both scratching out, or we're all scratching out, is there's elasticity to this for candidates and for for companies that they've I mean, got to know that there's elasticity. It's like, okay, what we're looking for is this raw talent that has these things ish. Now, candidates got to know that and and know that okay, that's not that's real or not, or once I get in there, they will kind of figure it out. Like Again, you, it kind of reminds me of in the 60s, NASA, General Dynamics, all the different defense contractors, they hired people uh, back then, men, men sorry. Anyhow, <laughs> they, not bad. They, they just hired really, really smart dudes. Like this was their hiring strategy because I talked to people that did this back then. They're like, our strategy was this: we went to Yale, and we hired the smartest people we could get out of Yale. They didn't have we, they didn't have a job. I mean, they didn't have a title. We just put them in a place. We said smart people can figure it out. I mean, we I, I've seen you at several of them. We went to a lot of events in, in the industry last year, and yeah. the big buzzword that was coming around, right, is skills-based hiring. Is that not really what it is? I mean, right. in your case, the skill is just intelligence. Right. Um, but I think that that is kind of the underlying foundation of this notion of skills-based hiring is right. finding talent and figuring out how they fit instead of really carving out, I have this role that needs to have these three experiences. And Ten because- years of prompt you know, engineering when the person we're backfilling was Raya and Raya did these seven tasks. So this new person needs to do these seven tasks and more. Now we're seeing, well, we could have somebody over here, take this task because this mm-hmm. person brings this skill and being fluid. Oh. And I think 
things like labor shortages really cause companies to have to think like that and be creative. No longer the days of, don't worry, they'll just all come to us eventually. We will find that unicorn. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jill, you know, I'm sure you were asked to do that a lot in the last couple of years, right? The talent didn't just come to you. You know, you didn't just open the door and say, we're hiring and, you know, open the ATS the next day and here's 50 perfect candidates. It's like a faucet. Yeah, no, it's the the faucet of uh, purple spotted, you know, squirrels and, you know, magic unicorns and all that. Those buzzwords. (laughs) never opened. Uh-huh. <laughs> which never, never open. So uh, l- l- let's go. Let's go back to the report. Now we we've got the new one that that came out. What's the difference? January to February. What are you seeing? Where's the difference? Where's Where's the growth? What What do we need to be concerned about? I would just say the big the kind of the big headline difference is that in in so January's report is looking at December data. Um, right. Everything slowed way down. I mean, yeah. immensely slowed down. And the question we kept asking is, okay, it's that time of year though. So we were really looking at, is it that time of year or was this, I mean, if you, this feels like a lifetime ago, um, January was the longest year of my life. Um, But if we think about it, we were all going, okay, is this what we've all been waiting for? Is this that, you know, that other shoe falling? Mm -hmm. And really what I would say from looking at the February report is that wasn't the case. You know, the Mm -hmm. candidates are back. Um, it's the highest amount of candidates that we've seen in since you know, our time series that we're looking at here. Um, job openings are back. I think it does show a positive outlook from job seekers, but I do think from companies as well. They're continuing to open those jobs. Um, it's the highest level, highest level again of job openings in the last year. It's just but we don't see the only only one only statistic that's down is hires. actual hires. Actual hires. The actual hires. And I'd be curious to see what that looks like in the next right. week because right. I don't believe everyone had a little bit of a slow January. So that's why you're seeing. So applicants up or openings up and, uh, and, and actual hires was actual hires are down. They're down year over year. They're up significantly from December. I mean, that would be extremely concerning. Just December is always kind of, we right. all go through right. it, right? We've right. lived in December. Um, that's not when I'm looking for a job. And as a hiring manager, um, Jill was refer- referencing ISIM's hiring managers and I was like, I'm not going to take offense. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, as a hiring manager, you go like, it's December 15th. Let's Come on. talk about this next year. It's what we see, generally speaking. Um, so, like I said, hires is up month over month, but year over year, it's down about 5%. Right. So, does the election, the oh. angst... I know, I know. I'm dealing with. It's, it's like dynamite that's 20 years old. You know, I don't know if you ever had dynamite that's been your. It's got kind of a moist feel to it, like it could blow up right then. It's, anyhow, my uncle had a bunch of old dynamite. He was a, a, a Vietnam uh, pilot, and uh, he's over at his house one day, and he's he's literally got dynamite in his garage. I'm like, what is this box? He's oh, it's dynamite. I'm like. How long has it been sitting here in your garage? Ah, about 30 years. I don't know. It's I, I got until someone track. throws a match. You were good. So he goes, here, let me, here, let me, and literally pulls out a piece of dynamite and puts it in my hands. I'm like, I could, this is, this, this could end not so good for me right here. <laughs> what am I doing with, with my, no fingers? So anyhow, I know the election is dealing with live ammo, ammo and dynamite. I totally get it. We're not going to get political, but the angst of any, election is always there um do you think that that had plays any part 
for anyone, whether or not it's candidates or the company, do you think that, that plays for anyone and that angst around the election? I like my fingers, so I'm gonna I'm gonna slightly deviate from your question. I will say there are many, many things right now right. that are sort of hanging in the balance. Got it. Um, the only thing I will say to an election is that we know elections have impacts on the economy. Right. So I'll speak to the economic outlook and the stock right. markets. I think you cannot argue that those things do not have direct effects on hiring, 100%. right? When a company is not doing well, when their stock is down, they would be, the CEO would be fired for opening the floodgates of hiring. Um, right. So I think that kind of thing is at play. But I think there's also still some really big post-COVID settling happening. happening. I mean, I would love it if 2024 is the year that like nobody says the word return to office again, but I don't think we're done with it. I think that is still huge. Oh, no. Um, Actually, it's interesting. One of the survey stats, I'll pull back to the report, go full circle here. A third of people said that they would consider looking for a new job if their company announced they must return to office full time. We we saw the same thing uh, last report, Ryan, and I looked at last week. It was, and it targeted high performers and women and mm-hmm. uh, people of color if, if, if you want that talent to stay you you can't have a strenuous strict ROC what is it ROC return RTC return mm-hmm. to all RTO you can't have that if you're trying to keep that talent I just throw out letters yep. <laughs> Z, Z Niner 4 <laughs> anyhow, return to office if you have a really really harsh strategy you're just not going to be able to. So we were we were debating like like is the office be talent? At one yeah. point, if you have that strict strategy, do you end up with just B and C talent at the office? Yeah. Well, and it also tied to age as well. There was yes. in, in the age, yeah, it, it tied to the age. But we we did, and you know, it. And I went away thinking, and and I I thought about it over the last. Not didn't just sit there and think about it, but you know. <laughs> comes into my mind i'm not that lame but it actually potentially is b talent in mm. in the office um and i don't think that's true for we'll say the experienced population i think there a lot of the experienced workers want to be in the office still um but for for the newer inexperienced talent those five years ish into the yeah, you're you're going to get a lot of the people that just want to play the game, come in, collect a paycheck, and 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 work hard. Not that they're bad; they want to work hard, but they're they're not. I don't think, based on what we're seeing, the trends, they're not as ambitious as some of the others. Well, I'll, I'll throw a little dynamite there. Um, going back to full circle. <laughs> Uh, we actually do a, a big report every year. We call it the Class Up Report, and we look at the last three graduating classes of college, and we we survey them. We look at their behaviors of how they're applying for jobs, how they interact mm. with career sites, how they, you know, what they prefer. Um, and interestingly enough, Gen Z wants a more traditional workplace experience. Correct. It's millennials who mm-hmm. are me right now. It's funny, actually. Isims has a. Uh, we do go back to the office um, two days right. a week. It is. Yeah. Everybody listening but now, it's a very snowy that's, Tuesday morning. That's because they give um, you bagels and cream cheese. Yeah. <laughs> great bagels, cheesy bagels, don't mess with them. Um, but what I would say is they are a group of people, people, just especially the last few years of college graduates. But even, you know, this whole generation, they're a group of people who were really candidly robbed of some very, you know, coming of age experiences. Things like proms, mm-hmm. in-person yeah. college. 
right? Yeah, I mean, imagine like, those were defining years of becoming an adult and they are looking yeah. for joining the workforce and joining a company. They want to be physically in the office. It's not because mm-hmm. they want to physically walk into a cubicle. No, It is because they want to mm-hmm. learn. They want to be included. It's a tough job to enter a job remotely where you're trying to gain the skills. I think of how I learned when I first, way back when, started my first job in New York City and my boss would just grab me walking to meetings and say, you know what? Come with me to this one. Listen. And how much I learned by just being in that room. I had no value to add yet, but I was there. That doesn't happen so much on Zoom. And I think this generation knows that and they're looking for human human connection, right? Um, And they're finding it in the office. It is the overworked, my cup is running over millennials like me that are trying to figure out you know, some human has to be on the front porch so the bus driver will open the door and one kid has to get dropped off at this time. We're more the folks that are like, oh my gosh, and you have to make me go back to an office? That's a lot. But the really, truly sort of entry-level talent is actually saying they, they want that tradition, like the traditional, like everybody else got is the words I keep getting heard, right? Everybody else mm. got this when they started their career. Why don't we? I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think that plays out across the board. If you look at, you know, I know we were looking at the February report, we saw an uptick in in those applicants. Mm-hmm. You're seeing that across the board. You're seeing, you know, entry-level talent roles. They're not even saying hybrid anymore. They're saying in the office five days a week right. and people aren't even blinking twice. They are applying. They're excited to apply. Um, so, um, so I agree with you. It, it's, it's, it's us that are trying to figure out how life and work balance together, that's where that challenge sits. Um, And to give you a sense too, just from, as Joe was mentioning from the February report, more than two thirds of candidates right now are under the age of 34. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Where where is that age? Where where are you seeing the biggest uptick? Where's the most activity? 18 to 24 is by far right now the biggest. I mean, 42% of job applicants right now are between the ages of 18 to 24. Um, It is the, the biggest group that is out there looking, um, it, I say to, to our customers when I'm consulting with them, I say it's a great time to hire entry level. It's a pretty tough time to find someone with 15 years experience. Yeah. Right. I think that some is, of that is we for, oh, go ahead. John. No, I was going to say, but that lines up with most companies' goals right now. I mean, most companies yeah. are investing in those, those HIPPO, high-performing entry-level yeah. talents. I mean, so it lines up beautifully. I'm excited. When I saw that on the, the when I saw that in the insights reports, reports today, I was excited. I was like, yes, exactly. That's the market that I'm looking to have, you know, and looking to find. So it's, it's amazing that it's starting to line up. And when we talk to HR teams right now, the, the, the headline I'm giving them is higher Gen Z retain millennials. millennials right. If you're, right. if your whole, you know, external brand that you're trying to put out is, is attracting millennials. Good luck right now. Yeah. Seek the ones you have, because you need them to knowledge transfer to all of that new talent. Right. <clears throat> I think one thing that we forget is that when we went to offices, uh, especially coming our first job, first couple of jobs, mm-hmm. that was our social network mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. Like it was the stuff mm-hmm. in the office, the water cooler and all that other stuff and going into meetings and stuff like that. But it was also the stuff that happened after work. Yep. So once work got done, it's like, oh, we're all going to this bar. We're all going to a game. We're all going to this, that and the other. And it was a like human connection. But some of that was good and some of it was bad. Got it. But it, we, you know, I could see them yearning for for that. I could see and, them being robbed and then wanting that. And I, I I mean, I'll throw a little bit of a slight conspiracy theory. There's no data at all behind this one, but it is oh, very it. fascinating if you think about it, that 
when we saw remote and hybrid work become the norm, we saw resignation rates go way up. And I think right. about every time I've ever quit a job, I did not care about telling HR or my boss. I didn't give two pennies. Nope. It was the people I ate lunch with every day. It was my friends who, you know, I had coffee with in the mornings or yep. I went to happy hour with after work. Those were the people that I remember just being like, oh my gosh, like I feel horrible. That was the emotion around resigning yeah. for me. That was yeah. a sticking factor around times I didn't resign. Right. And I think that when because... we all went home and like I said, we're none of us, I don't think are good Zoom socializers. I don't do a good <laughs> enough job of calling someone, calling someone to just say, hey, I'm pretty sure if I just um, right now did uh, a uh, level by calling someone just said, I just want to check in how you are. They would probably be freaking out to see my name popping up. Yeah. Right. Um, and that is, but if I stopped by their desk and just said, how was your weekend? Yeah. That's normal. And I think that human connection, we're, we're still figuring out how to do that in a fully, I don't, you know, if anybody knows a company that's doing this fantastically, please Love. send me a LinkedIn note because I don't know of that. And I think that when we saw this sort of depersonalization behind a screen at home, and then we saw resignation rates peak in my head, easier. I'm going, are we really surprised by this? Are we, it, it, it was easier. Does it, does it for, for any of us, is that loyalty? Are we really talking about loyalty? Both sides. Loyalty, culture, right? Remember when culture used to be, what's your culture? We have a ping pong table. We have, we, you know, you joke, right? We have bagels, right? That was, yeah. 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 And I think that, so the loyalty, the loyalty question, I, I, I think that's always struggled, right? After, we'll say after pensions, gone, all that stuff. That loyalty really has struggled, and it was just a light was sh was shined on that, shown on that when this happened. Right now, well, loyalty technically, loyalty goes back to free agency in sports. Prior to free agency in sports, I'm, I've actually studied this. So, yeah, you have. You know, I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't doubt that you did. So, prior to free agency in sports, companies were loyal to employees, employees were loyal to companies. Once they saw that free agency, that management or ownership wasn't loyal to right. players and players weren't loyal to, uh, to the teams, then, it, then that actual cultural phenomenon actually bled over into work. So, so what what I'm what I'm what I'm discussing is so f we've had a problem with loyalty since free agency in sports check with COVID I think there's another wave of loyalty of Zoom related loyalty so Zoom I don't want to blame Zoom Zoom's, it's, <laughs> Zoom's it's, a great it's, company Zoom <laughs> Zoom's a fantastic I think I own stock doesn't matter anyway here's the deal. <laughs> that was actually kind of a disclaimer. Anyhow, yeah, my bad. So uh, no, it's it's not Zoom's fault. It's 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 the activities that happen through a conference call technology that I think is the next level or could be the next level yeah. of loyalty shift from a company. Am I really loyal to that person that we just talked to over this thing? But I also really? think it's important to think about what employees have been through in the last four years. I mean, that's oh, a so heavy statement. That. But then can we be surprised if we've lost loyalty, right? right. We saw huge amounts of layoffs in almost all spaces. We saw unemployment. I mean, record-breaking yep. high levels of unemployment. We saw, right. I mean, you don't have to talk about the pandemic itself, but like we've all just been through a lot. We've seen so many huge ups and downs and back up and back down. and just so many external factors at play 
that I think all of those things, I mean, you know, I'll go full circle again, back to return to office. You saw, you know, go home, please work from there. Just kidding. Come back. Just this like kind of boomerang <laughs> effect, right? Of what is it? And do I, and, and as an employee, what do I control? We as people are struggling, I think, as a society with what do we control after everything we've been through and sort of this notion of, you know, I feel, especially in this job market, that people, if they don't like what a company is doing or they feel like they're not a human to the company, that they won't, they won't stay. So who pushes, yeah. who pushes that first? So now we've got chicken and egg, right? We're gonna play with this. We're gonna, I, I, I'm actually thinking of Stephen Wright. <laughs> he had a joke uh, years ago that he named his dog Stay. So he's like, here, stay, here, stay, here, stay. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, like, who who makes that first move first? Do companies make that move and say, hey, we're gonna be loyal to you, or is it employees? Like again, it is chicken and egg. Who's gonna make the loyalty play first? I think it comes back to trust. I don't think uh, there's a play. I think it has to live out. Right. I, right. I agree with that. I, I think it's just something that's going to happen. It can't be words, right? It okay. can't be. Guess what? Uh, we care now. That's so the op, so the opt so the optimists on this call are on this side. I am not one of those people. I'm over here on the, <laughs> <laughs> the darkness. I don't. I don't think that that happens. I don't think it happens at all. Actually, I think then we may see things like the gig economy really ramp up. And yeah. again, you know, maybe you're not even loyal that you spend your whole week with a company. I. I I would bet more money on that than anything else. Joe, I did have one question before we end, and it was about the hiring of 18 to 24-year-olds. You know, that used to be college recruiting or uh, university recruiting. We called it a lot of different things. I always just thought of it as a table at a place, and you stood behind the table. Anyhow. Wait in line for a long time. Would you like a peppermint? We have a peppermint. There's a bowl of peppermints. It's like, really? You're in Princeton. That's going to get somebody that's going to, oh, peppermints? Anyhow, what do we need to do? What are your customers, what advice are you giving your customers and also yourself? You're going to be hiring a lot of these 18 to 24 year old yourself. What do you got to do differently at that level? You need to be able to understand this audience again. I think we've, I think we've taken them for granted for a long time, right. um, you know, I, I used to sell that pen at that table at Princeton, as you said, but that's where I came. That's how I how I started in recruitment. And, oh, and wow. you know, it wasn't about the pen and it wasn't about, wow. it, it was about building those relationships and, and understanding their viewpoints and their needs. And I think we have to go back to that. I have to understand what my, how my role fits in their future ecosystem and their growth and their development. And I think when we can do that and when we can articulate that, that's when they buy into us. And it is a trust thing. Like to go back to all these big buzzwords that we're building, like it is a trust thing. It is a brand awareness thing. It is a sharing of my culture. It is a, hey, this is a cool office. Yeah, we have an Xbox kind of thing. Like it's all these pieces having to come back into the puzzle. Because I think over the last few years, we've systematically just kept pulling random pieces out of the puzzle and saying, eh, it still kind of looks all right. But in reality, it's all got to come back in. And when we're focusing on this talent, they're craving community. They're craving authenticity. All these pieces have to come back in and we have to build them. We have to build a, build a, you know, an environment that they'll be excited to be a part of. And I will shamelessly plug the ISIMS class of 2023 report. Mm -hmm. Every time I present it to one of our customers, when we're doing consulting mm -hmm. engagements, they're shocked. I say things like, yeah, this is great that you have Snapchat, but what how are, what are you telling them about the financial benefits your company offers? And I'm not talking salary. And people's eyes glaze over. And I say, do you know that's the number one thing they're looking for? It is. 
Um, and so I will say that report, I know Jill was actually, um, I found this out recently. Jill used to use our reports before she was an employee at ISIMS. I got proud mama. So I am old school. I print everything. <laughs> Behind me are filing cabinets full of old ISIM reports because mm-hmm. even before I worked for ISIMS, I love this data. I have always loved the, the monthly reports. I've loved all of the insights work because it is so telling. And it's when you look at, you know, it's a great data point to pull out. And when you're thinking about how is this market evolving, it's fantastic. I think I'll use it forever. It was just, just, it's amazing. I want to pull out some of the old ones though, Raya, and see kind of like how, how telling are they now? Don't make me watch the old videos. I'll allow that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you pull them out. I'll come up. We'll have bagels and look at reports. <laughs> I would love it. Yeah. Dude, I, I don't read shit. It would it literally, that's kindling to me. I mean, that's how we start fires <laughs> down here. Uh-uh. Thank you all both for part of that time in educating our audience. Appreciate you both. Uh, and thank you. Appreciate thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 